Hello and welcome to this message from the room. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the Miss April is going to come this morning, and she is going to share the word of the Lord. And uh, I'm going to invite her to come. And uh, amen. Good morning. We are blessed. Our worship team, our media team. You know, last week we had Dave with us, and that was such a blessing to have him speak and and help lead worship. But they spend a a number of hours each week preparing to come and serve you, and we are very blessed, very blessed to have them and appreciate them. And boy, that bass player this morning, wasn't he cute? Yeah, he looks like his mama, but he did not get any of that, y'all, from me. I don't even know what, how to spell note in O-T-E. I can, do, I can do that. I lied. But that's as much musical talent as I have. He did not get any of that. And just watching him play, it always, he taught himself the bass. He's pretty amazing. So I have to brag on him. I don't think I've worked anything in to embarrass him. So I'll say that to get him embarrassed good this morning. Um, today, I will be wrapping up our fake news um, series that we've been doing. It's been so good. I've enjoyed it. I think it was, it's been fun. Um, it's a hot topic, a little bit of a word, so it's been a fun uh, series to do. And today I'm going to speak for, on the term post-truth. In post-truth politics, which is a, a phrase, I guess, um, there's a culture that cr- is created that appeals to our emotions, Um, It disconnects us from details. It disconnects us from facts and just circles in and and narrows in on our emotion. And so today I want to set that aside. I want to focus on the details. I want to focus on the facts. I want to focus on the truth and flip the post-truth narrative. The purpose of fake news is always to get us to believe a false narrative. We've... Every message that we've had in this entire series has focused in on a fear or a guilt or a shame or some sort of way that the enemy wants us to focus on the false narrative. It is hype. It is attacking our fears. It is to put us on the defense and then to react. And I don't know about you. I think I'm probably pretty safe in saying, but rarely when I react am I reasonable. And rarely is, my, is the outcome of that reaction a godly one. We've all sat at that stoplight and someone beside us wave us on when it was not our turn to go. And we kind of react in a way maybe ugly to them. We've all had road rage. We've all called that person on an island somewhere who speaks very little English to help us walk through setting up our dish network or troubleshoot our cell phone Our reactions are rarely reasonable. They're rarely godly. And that is what the the purpose of fake news, the purpose of that narrative is to get us into reaction mode, to put us on our heels, to keep us off task. And practically speaking, fake news in our media today, ask yourself this question. 
when you read that article on Facebook, and we were given really good websites to go to to check the validity of those website of those articles that we read. But who profits from this? Ask yourself that question. Amen. And simplistically, who profits financially from this? Because sadly, in our world today, personal gain is of high priority. At the cost of anyone, and we will step on anyone to get, our world will step on you to get where they want to go. It does not matter who we have to step on, what fallacy is shared, personal gain is embraced at the cost of others. And so bringing it back to our Christian walk, the narrative of the enemy, the fake news coming from his mouth, is always meant to primarily separate us from God. If even in our mind, because we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if we can be separated in our own mind, that is always the primary narrative of the fake news. But the second is to separate us from others. Not just the body of Christ and force us into isolation. And we've talked about that through the series, but also to separate us from the lost. If through fear or even through disgust. And as believers, we cannot take the bait of the post-truth culture. We can't live in fear. We can't live in reaction to the enemy. We can't live isolated from the body of Christ. And we can't be so disgusted by the world, by the sin and by the brokenness and by the ugliness of the world that we live off mission. We can tragically spend a lot of time chasing a truth, trying to do away with a lie that we forget the biggest truth of all and we forget the part that we play in the biggest truth of all. In a word, it's busyness. And if there's anything that the fake news is, it's busyness. It's a life of rabbit trails that lead nowhere. Keeps us off task. And so today I'm here to give you permission to let it go. Let it go. Center yourself Get on mission. What is my mission? Glad you asked. If you want to, please turn with me to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Luke really is in the Bible. I didn't try to trick you like you've been tricked by others. It truly is a book of the Bible. It's one of our Gospels. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. It's a parable that we're all very familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I will read the entire parable to you. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to to inherit eternal life? And he, speaking of Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road, 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he passed, he saw him and he had compassion. So we went to him and bandaged his wounds, pulling on, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he, speaking of the lawyer, said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray and then I'll begin. Oh, Jesus, we are a blessed people. And God, we recognize your hand in our life. We recognize where you're working. We recognize where you're fine-tuning us. God, make us aware of the narrative of the enemy who speaks contrary to every truth that you speak over our lives. God, I pray that this word would come alive to us today. I pray it challenges us. And it sets us on a path of change. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to liken this parable to our world. Of course, the lost is the certain man that Jesus speaks of who was beaten and left for half dead. And our mission, our part that we play as the body of Christ is not that of the professional religionists in this story. It's not that of the priest and the Levite, who we know is also a very skilled priest, very highly trained. And I have to say that many times in your life, it's just as important to know what your mission is not as it is to know what your mission is, to know where you don't need to go, to know with whom you don't need to be in relationship with, to know the, the business decisions that you don't need to make. Sometimes those can maybe even be more important than knowing what to do. So we know that that is not our part to play, but instead we're the despised one. As the body of Christ, we should be like the Samaritan. We're introduced in the beginning to this lawyer. I hope there's no lawyers in here. I'm not going to talk ugly about the lawyer, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But just like in a post-truth narrative in that culture, he is working to create an issue where there is not an issue. Do you know people like that? Who get a lot of joy out of creating an issue where there is no issue. And verse 29 says, but he the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. In other words, wanting to be right. How much do we sacrifice in our lives every day at the expense of being right? How much do we not hear in an argument, because we're working up what we're going to say next, at the expense of being right. How many relationships have we lost? People that we've dismissed from our lives, opportunities, all at the sake 
of being right. And we see this lawyer wanting to justify himself, wanting to be right, wanting to be high and mighty. And he is setting up in some big office. I can see him and he is looking over the law and he's theorizing the law. Sound familiar? He's, he's, he's analyzing and he's looking all over and, and he just wants Jesus to simplify it. He just wants some, I just need some clarification. I'm so confused. I just want some clarification. Who is his neighbor? And Jesus asked, who proved to be his neighbor? He just flips it right around on him. Who proved to be his neighbor? See, we can theorize and we can analyze the ins and outs of the scripture all day long. And we will not see a single person come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can all get in here. We are a part of threads on Facebook that are minister threads. And they will spend countless hours hours arguing stupid, stupid stuff and not see a single person saved in a service that Sunday. But we're arguing about what kind of carpet we're going to put in our building or what are we going to have chairs? Are we going to have pews? And what, what lighting they're griping about the lighting in my church? What kind of lighting do you have in your church? And then they all, seriously, we can set and we can analyze and we can theorize all day long, but if nobody's life is changed, then what does it matter? That's the narrative of the enemy. That's the post-truth culture. It's to get us on those little side rabbit trails that lead us nowhere. It's busyness. Busyness. But we have a task. We have a mission and we have a mandate from heaven. And that is to go into the world. We know it. We know the Great Commission to go into the world, to make disciples, to see people's lives bettered and transformed and bring them into relationship with him. We can't live like the lawyer. So focused on being right that we miss the big picture altogether. There are things that all of us are going to disagree with and disagree about. There's parts of scripture that we may not be able to come to exact agreement on. But if at the end of the day we're working to bring people into relationship with him, then let's set aside those differences and not get caught up in the busyness. We speak of truth, and I don't mean the truth, speaking of Jesus. When we speak of truth, when we speak of facts or um, the way that we perceive our world, truth is a battle of perceptions, and people are only... Prepared to see what, the, or I'm sorry, people will only see what they are prepared to confront. And so I, I'm grateful for this lawyer that he kind of worms his way in there and asks this question. But it's not what we look at that matters, it's what we see. I, we like to watch a show, Frasier, and, um, If you're not familiar with the show, I'm old, and so it came out in the 90s. Some of you probably weren't even born then. But um, two psychologist sons, psychiatrist, psychologist sons, and their dad. Dad's very down-to-earth. He's a retired police officer. Dads are very, our sons are very educated. Nothing, nothing, nothing like their father. And so this one particular episode, they decide to go to a cabin that they had been, that they had gone to when they were younger. The boys were younger. They hadn't been since they were kids. So the younger brother, Niles, walks in and he says, Nothing's changed. He's very disgusted by this cabin. 
And then in a second, the dad walks in and he goes, wow, nothing's changed. Same exact words. It doesn't matter what we look at. It matters what we see. And so when we're looking at the hurting of our world, can we look past the pain? Can we look past the disgust? Can we look past the brokenness? Can we see the man lying in the ditch like the Samaritan did and not be put off by that? Working with the loss is messy. And do you know what we should expect from the lost? Everything and anything because they're lost and that's what lost people do. But we got to be able to see past it and see the person on the other side of it, to see that hurting individual behind it. Does sin and our world move us to action? If it doesn't move us to action, then I would say we're not the Samaritan in the story. We are the professional religionists in the story. It has to move us to action. I don't want to be like the priest. I don't want to be like the Levite. I do not want to go out of my way to not be bothered by others. It says that they cross to the other side of the street. You know, something that I think that Pastor Dave shared with us last week. And this, this particular story doesn't tell us this, but I also don't want a, a Sunday school answer. Well, just trust God. And that's, that's great advice. Yes, trust God. But I need somebody, when I'm laying in that ditch and I'm half dead, I need somebody to pick me up and put me on their animal and take me somewhere and clean up my wounds, pour on the oil, pour on the wine, trust me to the innkeeper. We can't live so disconnected from the hurting people in our world because we're afraid or because we're disgusted. Love does not consider the worth of the object. It simply responds to the need. It isn't hard. You just love the people on your path. Who's on your path? We all have a path. We got here today, so that means we took a path. And we'll leave from here and go home today. That means we'll take a path and we'll pass people walking on the side of the road. We'll pass people coming out of the post office with hands full of boxes and mail trying to get into their car. We'll pass mamas at Walmart with little babies running everywhere and they're trying to keep them alive and get all their groceries into the trunk. There's all kinds of people on our path to love. Just love the people on your path. Zoe and I were uh, killing time in town yesterday and a, little, a young girl, I uh, think she was probably Zoe's age, maybe younger, we were um, in a store, and she walked right up to us, and she said, I feel like Jesus wants me to tell you that he loves you. Little bitty girl. And, and I said, oh, thank you. And she said, thank you, Jesus. Can I pray with you? Do you need it? And she's just a little bitty girl. She's just loving people on her path. Just love who God puts in front of you. And trust that he's entrusted them to you. Don't feel... We discredit ourselves. I, I didn't know what to do, so I didn't do anything. It's not that our heart was wrong or that our heart was in the bad place. We were just, I didn't know. I was paralyzed by the situation. We talked on Mother's Day about being stressed paralyzed. Y'all remember that? We get paralyzed by the situation and we don't know what to do, so we just don't, don't, don't do anything. No, love the people on your path. Who is on your path that's hurting, that's sinking in sin, that's been beaten up by this world and been left for dead? Love those people. 
We were all saved through relationship, not through religion. And so you're going to have to build some relationship with some people and then trust that God will use you to turn their situation around. And so don't make the fake news chatter. Make it, don't let it make us an us versus them. It's not the cleaned up Christian and the dirty rotten sinner. We see that throughout the entirety of our world. If you turn on the news and you see it's, it's conservative versus liberal, it's Republican versus Democrat, it's, it's man versus woman and the female movement, and it's, it's us versus them and everything, it's us versus them. Dismiss that. Throw that away. We have to go out. We have a mission. We have been called to go out. And the song that we sang today said that he's ever interceding until the lost become the found. We are the agents of change that he uses until the lost become the found. We have to go out and bring them in. I want God to do something big and powerful in all of our lives. I want it to cause the lost around us to look to us and want the Jesus that's in us. I don't want to be off-putting. I want Jesus in me to draw them in, to seek out the hurting. I recognize in my life that I need a Savior. Last week, the intro video to our service said that Jesus didn't just save us, but he is saving us, and he is continuing to save us. That is a continuous work. It's not a one-time thing, and now you're saved, and then we stop. But it is a continuous work that he's, do- he's saving me today, and he's continuing to save me tomorrow. I need him. I desperately need him. Psalm 112, verses 4 and 5 says, Even in the darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, God will come to those who are generous. And so we see this good Samaritan who is so generous. I need him. I need him to come to me. I need need to go to others. I want God to find me in my desperation, to pick me up out of that pit, to clean my wounds, and to put me on a path to restoration and to healing. But then, so that I can do it for another. I've been rescued so that I can be a rescuer. I think about another Samaritan in the Bible the woman at the well, you know, in the scripture it says that Jesus, he mu- I must go through Samaria, Samaria. And he finds her there in John 4. It says, she, after she's had her encounter with Jesus, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? I must share him. He's done too much for me not to share him. He's done too much for all of us not to share him. We must be compelled and we must be pushed. We must live a life of the Samaritan and impact those who are on our path. We can't be separated and be impacting at the same time. We can't live in isolation and make a change. If we're going to make a change, we have to get our hands dirty. We have to get down where change needs to be made. And so, Amber, would you come to the keyboard? The initiator of fake news is always about making a name for someone. It's all about creating some sort of reality that we buy into. Our job 
is to redefine eternity. We're not trying to create any sort of fictitious reality for someone. We want to see their eternity redefined. We want to do something that matters in somebody's life. I've walked through things in my life where I can look back at people and think, had that person not been there in that moment, I can see how the outcome would have been a lot different. I maybe wouldn't be where I am today had I not had that encounter with that person. Those moments where somebody come in in my brokenness and in my hurting or when I was about to make a really bad decision and say, that's not the decision you want to make. Let me tell you why. And they gently helped put me on a path. They put me on their animal. And they helped me walk out the process. Life isn't like a connect four board where we drop in those little pieces and, we, and it's just pretty. And we try to get our four little discs in a row and then we smile and we look at it and we're so happy. No. Life is you get all your pieces in there and you get to enjoy it for about 4.3 seconds and then some jerk comes by and slaps that little thing and all the pieces fall out. And then you start all over. And some of us are better at starting all over than others. And so what we've got to do is we've got to find somebody and help them start all over. Give them the courage to pick up that piece and drop the next one in. Encourage them. Help them along the way. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to ask you a question. What do you want to be remembered for? What legacy do you want to leave? Queen Esther said, I will go to the king, and if I die, I die. She was living for a cause that was much bigger than herself. She was living for others, and she redefined the fate of an entire nation. If the measuring stick for how well I love God is how well I love others, then, Lord, let me love them well. You know, I believe that I'm in a room full of people that love people. I've seen many of you doing things behind the scenes that nobody would know that you've done. I've seen people from my church family pulled over on the side of the road helping a family get into their car and drive them somewhere that they were walking towards. I know many of you have taken bags of groceries to families' homes and blessed them 
filled vehicles up with gas and done things that no one could, could do for themselves. And if you're like me, so many times I get so caught up in my own craziness. I just honestly become unaware of the people on my path. Because I'm, I'm working hard to pick up my connect four pieces and get them back into the game. And I just get busy. And if that's you, I just, you say, God, give me sensitivity and give me eyes to recognize the people on my path. And then God, compel me to go to them. If that's you, and you're like, and you just say, I, I don't want to live disconnected from the hurting. I just want to be made aware of the hurting. I'm asking God to give me eyes and sensitivity to see him. If you want to join us up here in the altar, we want to pray for you that God would lead you to the right people on your path. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm, I'm hurting I'm that person in that pit. I've been beat up and wounded and left for dead. I'm the one that Jesus described. I need hope and I need a rescuer. If that's you, please come. Please come. There's no shame in needing a... We are, just like I said, Jesus saved me. He is saving me and he will continue to save me. He is my hope. I set my hope on him. He is my rescuer. We sing a song in worship that says, All of my life, in every season, you are still God. And I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. If we live our lives... Responding to the trials and the hurts and the pains and the brokenness with this attitude that in all of my life and every season, you are still God. And I have a reason to sing and I have a reason to worship. Others will be drawn to us. Our path will be so busy. He will entrust so many to us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the hurting. Don't live disconnected, separated. You have a mission. God has entrusted people to you every day on your path. Go after those people and share the love of Christ. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 945 for Sunday school and at 1030 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Down on your shore, you say, Come to.